Welcome to the seventh episode, the seventh exciting episode of the Metabilis 2 podcast featuring myself, Ben. And David. So we have a topic this evening, which will be the classic Doctor Who TARDIS console and looking back over the years at how the set has changed from 1963 to 1989. Excellent. Where, where do you want to begin? Begin at the beginning? Yeah, should we dive right in on the season one console room, the massive console room with the giant, unfeasibly large console console room? Exactly. Um, yeah. And yeah. That, that strange lamp or whatever that was hanging off the kilter above the console. You know, you know what that. So my parents used to have. Oh, well, still do. Well, there's only one of them now. But anyway, in my parents' house, there's a lampshade that hang over the main dining room table which looks exactly like the thing that hangs over the central console in in the first console room design really is it that large or it's not that large that really would be cool um it's not that large (laughs) it is of similar design and of course my parents being architects and people who are keen on design i think probably bought it sometime in the early to mid 1960s which is Mm -hmm. why i'm referencing it because I've always imagined that the designers of that console room in 1962, 1963 were thinking about 60s design stuff. Um, and that's like my parents' lampshade. Do they have roundels on the uh, wall in the dining room? If only. Too, if or? only they do not have roundels. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I actually, because I was at the, uh, the Doctor Who experience in Cardiff a couple of years ago, and they have a I don't think it's the original console from the original console room. I think it's a, I think it's the reproduction that was produced for Adventure in Space and Time. So I, I think, sadly, I think the original mm-hmm. no longer exists. Um, but it's super cool. It, as everyone knows, it's a pale green color because pale green shows mm-hmm. up best in black and white as being white. But yeah, that was cool to see. What, 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 uh, what do you have to say about the first console room? Well, it's interesting that it's so large compared to the later seasons, and it was probably a practi- It was definitely a practical thing for to reduce the size after it because they would film everything in order mm-hmm. back in the early '60s, and to, to um, strike that set and bring it back up if you had another scene within the TARDIS, it became unwieldy, and so they. Over the years, I guess they, they lost bits and bobbles for extensions for it. The first thing probably to go was the drop-down lamp from yeah. the ceiling, and then some of the panel walls of the roundels would go away, and then we'd get just photographic reproductions of roundels. So they would look okay, I guess, yeah. in black and white. But then as we moved moved you, towards the, the color, and there's that kind of sort of bank of computer console screen, not screens, but kind of bank of sort of what looks like some kind of electronic equipment that kind of goes away as well. Then there's a sliding door. I mean, I'm just thinking, I'm just trying to think of, you know, remembering back to inside the spaceship. Well, and then we have the very uncomfortable the super, beds. Super, super beds. <laughs> dorms, which, the dorms. Which I think, actually, interestingly, having just produced an exhibition on 1950s and 1960s space design, that goes straight to mm-hmm. Werner von Braun and Chelsea Bonestell's designs for, well, 
Fred Freeman um, mm -hmm. designs for the interior of spacecraft um, in the 1950s. Um, that kind of contoured bed was, mm -hmm. was, was how, certainly, you know, in the early years of the American space race, that's how they were designing astronaut beds to reduce the, uh, the G-force. But of course, again, they start to show up design-wise, that kind of design in the 1960s, as kind of day loungers as well. And you'll see, you know, Eileen Adams mm -hmm. and people like that. Um, do I mean Eileen Adams? Anyway. Um, 60s designers using that shape as a, um, you know, as an actual piece of furniture. No, it's the whole influence of the space age mm. of the and jet setting that kind of would permeate through the late 50s, early 60s, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. But then, of course, I mean, always interestingly, you know, they contextualize that kind of space age design in the original TARDIS interior with you know, the chair and the hat stand, or sorry, a coat stand, etc. you know, which I think is mm -hmm. supposed to express, you know, that the doctor's collected things as he has traveled through time. Throughout time. Mainly, yeah. mainly from the Victorian era, though. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting thing. You know, they, the, the classic hat stand, I don't think it appeared until later, until probably season 15, when Leela carries in the coat rack and the start of the invisible the, it's, 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 it's not in the first design. There's, there's a bunch of weird chairs I'm looking at, but... There, there is weird things. It looks like there's like something, but they're all like uh, pedestals of strange right. obelisks and stuff. I'm not sure the the hat stand. I'm trying to think of an episode going back where the hat stand made yeah. an appearance. I'm, and I'm incorrect to think. Yeah, interesting. Right. But it, it's like these huge golden floor candelabras, and there is. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And there's this. To me, they look like three seahorses resting on their tails, kind of going out and three different directions with something resting on top and then there's an astrolabe and there's this this weird monoliths all around the console room they're there just to show that this man this time lord had traveled through time and collected yeah things, i guess there was interesting set dressing and those type of things disappeared as the series yeah went on. yeah because it's it's kind of hard to you know, all this stuff has to go back into the BBC props cupboard, not props cupboard, props warehouse. Mm -hmm. It's all kind of generic material as well. Mm -hmm. I think one of the other thing I think that interests me is the central console itself, which I mm -hmm. think is, you know, a fascinating and iconic object, the, the you know, the, um, uh, the multi-sided hexagonal six-sided uh, console and how the dials and levers and things, which are, you know, incredibly space-age, in 1963 and you know and just just looking at them one is reminded of nuclear power stations and the kind of big science mm -hmm. uh the big engineering of the 1960s certainly in britain and just how dated that looks now which i think is an interesting uh and i think they've taken that very strongly and we, will, we aren't going to talk about the new series in this particular episode but i think they've taken that very strongly and run with that in the in the new series by you know actually the doctor's mm -hmm. machinery has never been space age if you see i mean it's never been futuristic it's always been based in a particular era and the first console room is based completely in the space design of the 1960s and the big science big mm -hmm. engineering design of the 1960s yeah and if we jump all the way to the 80s that was very Absolutely. high tech looking for exactly. the 80s you know all that bbc micro graphics and stuff. precisely the, the doctor's design sense has always been dated it's never been futuristic mm -hmm. Well, it's it's somehow fixed to the time period in which, it, at least in the classic series, it's fixed to the time period, for the most part, that the Doctor was being the Doctor Who was being filmed. Interestingly, in. yes, exactly. We did have a slight departure 
in a season, was it season 14 with the uh, wood paneled TARDIS for the Tom Baker uh, years? Yeah, that's not exactly. It is season 14, you're correct. Yeah, the Jules Verne TARDIS uh, interior, which, which is, it's a departure from what we had been seeing beforehand. And I think it, to use the cliched terms, it was a Hinchcliffe gothicism type sense a setting for what they were trying to do on the console but again i can remember as a kid mm-hmm. hating that uh, jules Verne design because i felt it was like not futuristic really? anymore like why is the artist made of wood that's mm-hmm. ridiculous now of course mm-hmm. um i actually i kind of love it because i think again the uh, the production team were smartly realizing that the tardis console is you know is rooted in always rooted in dated design so if we root it in a an actual period of dated design, then it can actually become something that is futuristic because it's something that's mm-hmm. kind of literally timeless, such as the HD Wells style time machine, which is, you know, what they were, I, I think, I think trying to evoke there. Right. I, I don't know if it was the time machine. I was thinking more Jules Verne type 20,000 Leagues Under the yeah, Sea. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. Like kind of almost like what, because if you look at with the, I like the Disney production, it's very gothic. It's wood right, and brass. Right. And, I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking time machine as in kind of the George Powell movie where everything is kind of made mm. of brass and polished wood and all that. Victoriana, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just to touch briefly on the new series, that the making it look old already is an attempt to try to not make it look so dated, I guess. Which is, I think, a very, very smart thing to do because there is literally nothing currently that looks more dated than the 80s console room, which is, you know, as I think as we've said, it's just, yeah, that's from the 1980s. You can smell the neon. You can smell, you can <laughs> smell the neon logo. It's, it's, there it is, exactly. But our original TARDIS console is very analog. We have switches, we have dials, we have lever, levers, levers, sliding things. <laughs> it, it, it's the furthest away that you can get from a, a Star Trek Next Generation iPad, iPhone world. Mm-hmm. Then it's very, it's very analog. And yeah, so, and, and it works, you know, it has mysterious workings. There's very fluid mm-hmm. lengths that require mercury and mm-hmm. just, you know, weird stuff like that. Mercury suggests almost like alchemy or magic or something of the of turning the philosopher's stone, trying to turn lead into gold. There's an alchemical element to the whole inclusion of mercury and fluid links and. And I think actually you know the the alchemical aspect of who you know I think is something that's, that's very interesting, especially you know in in Whitaker, Whitaker and mm-hmm. episodes of designs. I mean, you have the famous uh, famous. You have the famous at all who has heard of it apart from us um the the mirror time travel in evil of the daleks mm-hmm. which is nonsense obviously unless you take it on the level of magic or some you know some science as arthur c clark said that is so advanced that it's almost indistinguishable from magic and uh one of my favorite time lord tardis things is the device that the doctor, the third doctor, builds in the time monster out of you know wine bottles and some forks and some corks and such, and it kind of spins round. Which again, I think express is again is something that is so uh, kind of homemade and alchemical that it actually transcends um, any kind of era and becomes something that's eternal um, and you know could be made by an incredibly advanced species such as the such as. The I guess it kind of harkens back to that. There's not a lot of continuity in the early early shows and i'm not there there definitely doesn't seem to be a show bible or a show 
manual saying this is how the TARDIS works. So every time we get something connecting with the TARDIS, so the first first episode uh, or with with Dalek, the Doctor breaks a fluid link or a mercury yeah. something, so it gives an excuse to go explore. Then the very next yeah. next episode with the Edge of Destruction, with the in pencil or in marker, the fast return switch label or something. <laughs> so it's it's very ad hoc. This is a time machine. We can make it do whatever we need it to do. Well, I think I think in some ways, you know, kind of meta way, you know, it actually expresses really well what the TARDIS is, which is a plot device. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the TARDIS interior and its workings are dependent on whatever we need it to do in order to make the plot happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if Terry Nation is writing it in Death of the Daleks, uh, sorry, in um, in Planet of the Daleks, you know, the TARDIS is, is basically a submarine. Mm. And if its air vents get blocked, mm-hmm. then everyone inside suffocates. Or right. in, you know, or in Death of the Daleks, it's, it works on, on electricity. And if you need to open the doors when there's no ele- electricity left, it's all being sucked away by the Exelons, you have to wind the doors open using a special kind of winding key Mm-hmm. So, but then, so, so, you know, in a kind of reductive way, you talk about, well, you know, they're, they're just making stuff up in order to get the plot going. But the, the, the TARDIS itself, in the most macro sense, is the thing that gets the plot going. It's the mm-hmm. thing that takes us from where to a new place and to a place of danger or risk mm-hmm. or, or plot. So I think that's actually, I mean, I like that. I don't mind that at all. I think, I think it's kind of a meta commentary on exactly how the show works anyway. Right, so like they're in this safe cocoon, the safe bubble in the tar- inside the TARDIS. So they need something to go wrong with the cocoon, like in the wheel of space, where the fluid link starts causing mercury fumes to go in the console room. So they have to re exactly, have to re- exactly. To, to, uh, I think it was a time vector generator or something like that. They had to remove, which reverts the police box back to being a police box or something, which doesn't really jive with the commu- whole idea of the chameleon circuit later and. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, but it's as I said. I mean, it's all the tar. All it's all the all the tar. The only thing the TARDIS does is it allows you to make it to, to start a plot mm-hmm. happening. So it just. I mean, that, that and it, on a very very simple simple sense, it just has to take you from from where you are to somewhere else. Or if you need something more accelerating for your plot, it needs to go wrong in a particular way. Mm-hmm. So it kicks you out of your said of your safe cocoon mm-hmm. into into the plot, and you can start playing out that plot. So the thing that I think is most iconic or interesting for, with the first set design of the TARDIS console interior or the TARDIS console room interior is the roundels. Yeah, and if memory serves, it was a Polish yeah. designer, Peter Brack. Kachi, yeah, right. So he was the first designer on episode one of Unearthly Child, and yeah. then Barry Newberry, I think, did the the caveman set design for a hundred thousand BC, the following yeah. episodes. But that roundel design famously was described as you know some has him taking a hole punch in uh, the Adventure of Space and Time, the Margatus fiftieth exactly, yeah. um, anniversary story. But yeah. what, is there any kind of precedence or any kind of idea where that background or the idea of the roundels would come from? Was that a, a design that was kind of common in the 60s? Or uh, I mean, I think if you look at you know, avant-garde design 
of the 60s, I think especially going into the 70s, but you know, all of that started in the, in the late 50s and 60s, you'll see uh, an interest in being involved in, or not involved in, what, what, what do I mean, an, uh, an interest in industrial design, mm-hmm. in, in co-opting industrial design mm-hmm. to inform uh, domestic design. And I think what you're seeing in those roundels is a something that is kind of quasi-industrial, but also something importantly that is produced using an industrial process. So, you know, it's vacuum-formed plastic. I think that's an interesting point because it, it does, if you look at the spacing, it's what you'd look at like a girder in an erector set where you have the circles punched out out of the little beams for to reduce the amount of metal that they're using, but it also has that industrial strength look behind yeah. it. So you have all these girders sitting kind of right next to each other off to the kilter to provide strength because the circle is a very strong thing. You lift what we have for the egg shape. Mm-hmm. The, the pressures are pushing yeah. in. So it, it does provide a strong but yet non-harsh angular thing. And it's, it's in contrast with the hexagonal angles of the console itself. So. I think the other thing important in terms of you know, design in the 1960s, it was, it was also modular. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of this repeating pattern and houses, furniture, wall decoration being modular, I think was very, very important in terms of design, in terms of modernist design mm-hmm. of the 1960s. Um, and that kind of modular nature, kind of repeated forms, was a made things look space age. Mm-hmm. And again, I think going back to the designs for space exploration from the 1950s, all those spacecraft, all that kind of space machinery, again, was designed to be modular. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had repeating, repeating modules. And I think if you look at if you look at the movies, um, to, you know something like two thousand one, you'll see design elements repeated over and over and over and over and over again. And I think that's what those roundels are basically. Do you think that they're a, a repeated form? Do you think that the original idea or console? Uh, interior of the TARDIS was seen as an infinite space at at the get go, or do you think it had a? It was just larger than the inside, and that it hadn't fully gone to the depths of invasion of time, or the extent of the right. age, invasion of time, where this is actually an infinite, endless space. That's that's a good question, I and mean, I think you know, one would have to do some more pixely style examining kind of uh, the original documents. You know, my understanding is that you know the TARDIS is a as something that's bigger on the inside than on the outside is simply came from. I mean, it's a stroke of genius, but it came mm-hmm. from practicality. It's like, well, okay, how we can't have we can't have him in a spaceship mm-hmm. like landing on a planet every week because right. that will be too expensive. So right. how do we do something that is like the time machine in George Powell's? movie adaptation of H.G. Wells, The Time Machine. It's a mm-hmm. small object that can easily be moved. But then if we want to have more than one person involved in it, how does that work? Okay, well, you know, it's a time machine. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's bigger on the inside. And, you know, of course, you know, there are precedents, certainly in, in British literature, more, you know, fantasy literature of things that are bigger on the inside. I think, you know, the, the one that all people always cite is is the wardrobe um, oh. in, in C.S. Lewis's, mm-hmm. um, you know, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, etc., 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 where a small domestic object leads you into an infinite world. 
technically is Narnia contained in the wardrobe or is the wardrobe a gateway to Narnia? And again, I think, you know, C.S. Lewis wasn't really interested in exactly what the wardrobe was Mm -hmm. other than it was a piece of machinery that got his plot started. Mm, So whether Narnia is in the wardrobe or whether Narnia is just simply, whether whether the wardrobe is simply a gateway to to Narnia, I think that's the Mm -hmm. question we can ask about the TARDIS. Is the interior of the TARDIS contained within the TARDIS or is the TARDIS Mm -hmm. a gateway to another dimension in which it functions I don't know I mean and again you know we were talking kind of different levels of story and different levels of, of, of mm-hmm. narrative here kind of structuralism and aside from things malfunctioning in the TARDIS or being sabotaged by the doctor in the TARDIS to get the story going the really only story that we have taking place within the TARDIS is the third story the edge of yes. destruction yeah and so we have this remarkable machine and we have interesting scenes within it, uh, like in the chase with the time vector visual aids or the time television machine. Oh, I, love, I love the time time television, yes. It's the Beatles <laughs> with beards. Right? Yeah. But, but two of them are dead. Oh, no. Anyway, yes, exactly. Carry on. So there's not a lot of exploration of the machine itself until we start getting towards Chris Marich Bidmead, who I think was very fascinated by the TARDIS. And then we get we get stories like Legopolis, or we get stories a little bit, you know, his his last story, I think, Frontios, where the TARDIS disintegrates. And it, I think yeah. Bidmead was, saw, saw the potential, or the he was very interested in the machine itself of the TARDIS. And we get with the story of the war games, we see a whole room of TARDISes, which are are capsules or the machine or time machine. Right. I guess Hartnell always called it the spaceship. We saw a whole row of these Gallifreyan time machines in there, and they're just, they looked like the Sid Rats. They're just, just boxes with a door effectively on them. So it's... The mythology of the TARDIS really early on was just, like you said, the vehicle to get the story going, to get us from point A to point B, to get us that further down to the next story. And it wasn't really, the idea of it becoming very interesting didn't really come in until later in the series. I I, I think at the time, and I think I still do, I found the whole Bidmead obsession with the TARDIS actually very tedious. Uh, because it attempts to explain something that really is unexplainable. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, again, citing Arthur C. Clarke, who is cited by the Doctor, and I think in in The Demons, the TARDIS is a form of magic, which, Mm -hmm. and all magic is, is science that is so advanced that we think it's magic. And I think Mm -hmm. that's actually the best way to think about the TARDIS, rather Mm -hmm. than to think about, you know, block transfer comp computations and gravity pulling it apart and uh, all that kind of, you mm-hmm. know, bid me nonsense, which I, which I think actually lessens it um, and places mm-hmm. it in some kind of real world when actually, I think for me, what is more exciting is that the TARDIS is based in some impossibly advanced world that's almost beyond human comprehension. Being beyond comprehension, we, we lose the console room when the Pertwee series begins. We, get, we just get the console and the doctor is able to remove the console from the tower. One wonders because <laughs> because it surely wouldn't fit through the door. Well, unless the doors are <laughs> trans, yeah, transdimensional. Yeah, you just take the doors off. You take the you just <laughs> take the doors off, put them on the side, and then just kind of put put the console on its side mm-hmm. and kind of roll it out on a dolly. I mean, that's how how I would have done it. But anyway, 
But, you know, so we have the scenes with uh, in the Inferno where he's in yeah. a garage, basically, where he <laughs> is working on the on the console, flitting through parallel dimensions yeah. um, with all exactly. the artists. But, of course, I mean, I think... It, but in 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 the uh, um, the the mind robber, that's it. I mean, the console is separated there and flies around through space, right? Oh, very famously with Zoe <laughs> clinging to it. <laughs> Zoe clinging to it, squirmingly on top of the on top of the console. So it, it has it has separated before and gone mm-hmm. flying around in kind of metaphorical ways. I am actually the very proud owner of a replica prop from Doctor Who of the uh, dematerialization circuit oh, of thirty years from yeah, which the is a, from the Pertwee era. From the Pertwee era, and um, it's a beautiful thing, and I have it proudly displayed on one of my shelves, and always makes me think, ah, if only I could get that thing working, mm-hmm. um, well, then I could dematerialize my tiny apartment and go flying through space and well, time. Well, the Time Lords have erased that dematerialization knowledge from your memory. You're Unfortunately, right. they have, exactly. A- exiled in Seattle. <laughs> exiled in Seattle. Um, but I think, again, you know, I think it's interesting that the Doctor's always trying to work on a circuit, Mm-hmm. And if only he can get that circuit working, then he could get the machine working again. And getting that circuit working appears to be mainly involved using a soldering iron, mm-hmm. which, again, is so literal and dated. One wonders whether the TARDIS kind of almost is part of the chameleon circuit, kind of deliberately orientates itself towards the technology, or at least the appearance of the technology of whatever place it happens to be at any particular time. So mm-hmm. that um, again, you know, I'm inter- one, you know, the, the master's TARDIS takes on the appearance of a computer, of a computer bank, um, mm-hmm. you know, with spinning, spinning magnetic tape reels um, mm-hmm. in in the Time Monster. But again, you know, mm-hmm. so something that's so fantastically advanced as the the kind of machinery that um, the Bidmead talks about, you know, you couldn't fix that with a soldering iron. Um, the mm-hmm. only thing you can kind of fix with a soldering iron is a machine that's basically made of magic and mercury and mirrors and you know weird stuff like that. Well, sonic screwdriver works on it, and uh, banging on the console works on it. That so, works I mean, as well, exactly, yeah. So it's, it yeah. is a magical device. It's a magical device. I mean, again, I don't really want to go full Neil Gaiman on the TARDIS, because I don't really like him either. But, uh, you know, I, I, fall, I fall nearer nearer, nearer the Gaiman scale. On the, on the scale of Neil Gaiman is 100 and Bidmead is 0, I'm around about the kind of 80 level. No, I think the Arthur C. Clarke take on uh, advanced science to people who don't understand is appearing like magic is probably the best approach. Gallifreyan science is obviously, if if it is science, it's beyond Einsteinian science. It's 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 beyond quantum physics. It's beyond our understanding. We certainly don't understand time travel. We think time travel is most likely an impossibility. Um, certainly transdimensional engineering is not something humans have stumbled upon. So it is, for all the practical purposes, magical science for our audience or the Doctor Who audience. Yeah. Which I think, again, can, can, can create problems. And I think, again, if we want to do some critiques of contemporary Doctor Who, New Who, again, to my mind, we have sometimes urged too far towards 
a wizard did it as an explanation for something that's happening. And again, yeah, I was fascinated with the kind of discussion around the, the sonic screwdriver, which um, Nathan Turner got rid of because he saw it as too convenient. The first thing that um, Russell Davis does, you know, is, is, okay, we've got the sonic screwdriver back and all the sonic screwdriver is, it's just, a, again, it's a way to accelerate the plot because the doctor mm-hmm. can always get through a door. Like he's never, he's never confronted with a, with a locked door. Adding the psychic paper, never get locked up in a jail cell again. So. <laughs> He, that's the, whenever he confronts authority, authority will always obey him because they always think that he's someone in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, which is super smart in terms of drama because it gets you through the things that stop anyone being a space-time adventurer, which is A, you're not allowed to, and B, the door's always locked. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's great. But still, I think you have to kind of be sparing with those kind of magical devices. And I think certainly the way that we've... Uh, you know, gamanized the TARDIS too much into this female figure, um, a literal female figure in whatever episode that was. Doctor's when wife. She, the doctor's wife. That just goes a little bit too far for me. Yeah, and Idris is a long way stylistically from season one where we start out with three-hole punch yeah, roundels yeah. and the big uh, dining room lamp in the season one, and that's pretty... Although losing the lamp and various different set dressings coming and going and maybe more reliant on the uh, photo reprint or photo, photographic wall of roundels rather than the actual press form roundels, we're pretty consistent through seasons um, one through six, you know, through the black and white era. And then in season seven, we lose the console room and we get the console as a standalone. And I think it wasn't until the three doctors in season eight that we have a return to the console room and the it's it's been redesigned again yeah it's uh, more of a it's it's certainly more spartan mm-hmm. we have the drop down monitor for, for for seeing the first doctor being trapped in the time time whatever right it was. yep yep and so it's been colorized except for the console. I guess we have the same power station green original console that shows up better as white and black and white televisions. So. Yeah, yeah. And then, in, and then in Three Doctors, we have walls without even having roundels. I think we have big, uh, for lack of a better idea, it's like the shoji screens with yeah, but I, I, huge squares. And then I think um, we didn't we 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 had a kind of an abortive that word um tardis interior for the time monster though didn't we before the three doctors yeah, that they uh, that they kind of cobble together with those um kind of washing and um, washing tub. oh yeah the wash basins the, the wash yes, basins yes. in the walls mm-hmm. which now there was that before the three doctors yeah or i thought it was after the three doctors. Uh, let me just look at my uh I, the, the time monster is the season finale of the previous season that then the, the subsequent season that starts with the three doctors so yeah, that was a that was a an attempt to kind of redo it again, um, mm-hmm. with the time monster, um, and then they actually kind of settle on something slightly more practical um, as mm-hmm. they go into um, they go into the three doctors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because I mean you have to move those flats around all the time, I guess. You know, they, they just need they right, just need something the... that they can move a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, for the audience at the time, do, would those wash basin roundels been identifiable as something they would get down at the high get on the high street somewhere yeah because you, you don't really have wash basins in the united states do you no no you don't washing up bowls i mean they're they're a thing yeah no you'd have recognized recognize those as washing up bowls 
um, mm-hmm. which I think I don't, I don't think are an American thing at all, but they're certainly a British thing. Um, and yeah, you can get those. You get those in well. You would be able to get those in Woolworths or wherever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what they look like. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're like big bowls that sit in your sink, and that's where you do the washing up. So in in the Pertwee year is the first time that we see the inside of the TARDIS in Claws of Access. Then I think it must be. Yeah. Because we certainly don't see the inside at all in series seven. Well, we're inside. Closet... We're in, we we go inside the TARDIS in Colony in Space, don't we? Yeah, but is Colony in Space? I think is after Clause of Access. It is. A, yeah, you 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 are you are correct. I'm sorry. Yes, of course it is. Yeah. 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 So we have, and but my recollection of the Colony in Space is the the TARDIS interior is rather small. It, it, it's it's very it's shrunk in size compared to what we were seeing in season six yeah yeah and we have one round wall and then we have a photographic wall and we have the old console and it's just poor katie manning has to be <laughs> amazed by this mysterious magical machine which really by then is looking pretty run down and tired it is looking pretty run down and tired yeah poor thing poor thing so. poor thing but I, I, again, I think what, what a great, I mean, this great piece of datedness. I mean, isn't that, isn't Colin in Space where we hear about the Time Lord files and then the master goes to an actual filing cabinet, <laughs> an actual filing cabinet um, and pulls out the drawers and leaps through some actual Time Lord files and pulls out the right file that has Doomsday Weapon written on it um, or whatever. It's, it's funny because, of course, now when you say file, you think, oh, it's something on a computer. Mm-hmm. Of course, in the 19, early 1970s, it was, no, you have to go to the filing cabinet to find the Time Lord files. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. So the chameleon circuit, like you said, works both in, indoors and ex- interior and exterior and maps the technology to the current era. <laughs> it does. It does. It, it turns a bunch of computer files into actual <laughs> files if you are in the era of when there weren't mm-hmm. computer files. I think that's awesome. I, I love the chameleon circuit. That's a that's a very good idea. Yeah, it's 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 a great. It's a, what a wonderful time lord innovation that was. Yeah, so maybe we should break off at the end of the Pertwee era here, and before we get too. And I would love to the... talk more about the TARDIS interior next week, as I've had several discussions with, particularly my lady partner, about how on earth are you going to have to find enough stuff about Doctor Who to talk about every week forever and I think we're demonstrating that the subject of Doctor Who is like the TARDIS interior potentially infinite infinite yes mm. all right good so, okay I'll keep it short keep it short so thank you for listening to Metabilis 2 I've been David and and I've been Ben uh, have a very pleasant evening or yes. day good night good night, good night.